What does it mean to be a man in today's world? No matter how you identify, what messages reinforce these ideas in your everyday life? The Man Enough podcast is a series of honest, enlightening, and open conversations with celebrities, thought leaders, and changemakers that investigates how traditional structures and attitudes towards masculinity affect men, women, and humanity as a whole. It's hosted by actor, director, and author Justin Baldoni, author and journalist Liz Plank, award-winning music producer and Wayfair Studios president himself, Jamie Heath, and recently, myself, Christopher Rivas, yes, I hosted a few, Man Enough creates a safe environment for a range of perspectives to meet and stay at the table. Featured guests include myself, singer-songwriter Sean Mendez, author and activist Glennon Doyle, renowned physician and author Gabor Mate, Queer Eye star Karamo Brown, best-selling author and podcast host Jay Shetty, director and writer Paul Feig, and an increasingly diverse set of voices. Join Man Enough as they explore how rigid definitions of gender show up in relationships, body image, privilege, fatherhood, career, sex, finances, success, mental and physical health, and so, so much more. Subscribe to the Man Enough podcast wherever you get your podcast. Coming up on Man Enough. I need tangible, concrete things that listeners and our friends can then say, oh, I can grab onto that. It's not enough to just be a good human. We're stuck in the the distraction of the doing. And if we can quiet our minds, then we will have the actual inspiration to figure out, well, what is my unique gift of service to the world? People have wanted results for lifetimes. Mm. I moved by wanting to be in a state of peace. I can't tell nobody what to do but to be honest with themselves. Why are you moving through the world in this way? What are you rooted in? Ignorance is bliss until you've tasted bliss, and then the rest is just ignorance. And I don't want any more ignorance in my life. It don't taste good. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to, like, put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hello and welcome to Man Enough. What's up, Jamie? I just, should we call water enough? Bottle enough? With, do we have a guest host? Do we have a guest host? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Thing? Should we get well, her I mean, a you, mic? I just, you're gonna uh, keep bringing I, it. I love that. I love that it, it's not, it now has a gender. My water bottle. I think I it's think a that's, girl. I'm just simply <laughs> trying to hydrate people. And so, I do mean, you go to the bathroom like every 15 minutes if no, you drink that much water? No. Is it, I've never drank the right amount of water <laughs> yeah. in my life. All so, right. what happens? It, what happens is you just feel better. Got you it. Feel, you, you feel mean from hydrate? Oh no, no, I love that you're yeah, hydrating. Yeah. It's just—it's it, a statement. It's, all, it's yeah. all good though. I thought about like, should I get it a black one or a gray one? And I was like, you know, I'm gonna go with this color. And then the water inside is pink because it's got electrolytes in there. Oh. Of course it does. And I think it's important. Right. You got to be healthy. Imagine if it was like, oh, it's just bright. Like it's just cold <laughs> on Mountain Dew. Exactly He's right. like, I'm being healthy. If it was Jamie, because I'm drinking if it was a lot Jamie, of it. it would be Coke. Let's uh, be real. Come on now, it'd be coffee. Yeah. yeah. Right. But let's, you know what's even better is that it's got a straw. Does oh, it feel? We have to watch you drink it. Yeah. You know what? I'm man enough to drink this big green 
pink water right in front of you sure are. our wonderful it. guest who's here with us today. Who yes. do we got? Oh my we, God. Yeah. Who do we have, Liz? Christopher Rivas is an actor and author and host of the Ruby Rosa podcast. On screen, Chris is known for his work on the Fox series Call Me Cat. And very exciting news, he just released a an amazing book called Brown Enough that explores what it means to be brown in America, which feels mm. like the perfect yeah, friend. Yeah, like a uh, companion to man your enough. book. I'm so excited that you're here with us, Chris. So happy to have you, man. Am I here now? You're here. You're here. I'm here. I told you I'm right. By the way, I just I just removed the water. I bottle noticed that, that was in between us because I just I wanted to make sure that there was enough space for you. <laughs> That's how much space that water took up. Congratulations again on your, yeah. your book. I, you. I love the title Brown Enough. Um, speak to us a little bit. Just share just quickly before we get into asking our questions about the title. Yeah, uh, it was born on a very simple day. I went to see Tanahasi Coates, brilliant man, speaker, thinker. He's been called our modern-day James Baldwin. I saw him in a small venue. He was speaking about black and white and race in America. So I raised my hand and I said, as a Dominican, Colombian, brown kid from Queens, where does that leave me in the conversation? And he said, not in it. And then they took the mic away and I sat down and I went home and I asked, what does it mean to be in it? Where am I? Where's my pops? Where's most of Queens? Where's most of the world? Where is that middle space? And then I thought of the world and... He, she, this, that, yes, no, right, wrong. We don't make space for the middle. And so what do I do with my brown body? And how do I show up in these spaces? And so brown enough was born. Mm. Mm. How did it feel to have your idol kind of, uh, mm. you know, say it plainly like that? It must have felt difficult, but also it seems like it also launched you into this really important journey. You know, no shade. He ain't my idol. He's a genius oh, of a okay. man. But like... um the funniest story is that I I had no idea who he was. And this is like a he has the most read article in the history of the Internet, a case for reparations. Mm -hmm. And someone I had taught a storytelling class and I had a barter system. And one of the barters I said is invite me someplace cool. And so this man, Hake, who I barely knew, said, I got tickets to see this person speak. You should come. But I have to like stand online early. And I was like, I don't know that I can make it. But I was like, I'll go. You know, I like to say yes more than I say no. And when I showed up, he said, I could only get one ticket. He stood online for me for an hour and a half. And he said, wow. you should be here, not me. And I said, no, no, no way, no way, no way. And he said, yeah, 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 go, go, go. And so I went inside. No idea who this person was. Was pretty riveted by his mind and the way he was eloquent in speaking. And then this happened. And it was the greatest gift I could have ever received because it brought me closer to myself. Mm. Wow. Well, let, let's transition that into our first question. Yeah. Um, and you're the only other guest who's ever had a book title with enough in it besides me. So mm -hmm. I'm excited for your answer. When was the last time you didn't feel enough? Oof. Uh, it's funny because I want to say it was this morning during meditation and then it went away mm. during meditation, right? Like I feel like enoughness. And you might have a different answer to this. Everyone's got a different answer. Yeah. And that's the point. But I feel like enoughness is the evolution of this book, you know, sixth printing, seventh printing, maybe your book as well, is just enough. Like the goal of this book is to cast a spell of self-worth, regardless of your skin color, your identity, your culture, your heritage. What does it look like to walk into the world with enoughness? My cup is full now, not after my next workshop or my next green juice. Like my cup is full right here, right now. I am enough. And, you know, I felt last, I felt enough when I was doing my book event in New York, 
right? Of course, because people were like, oh, this is great. And then I woke up this morning after traveling and I'm sitting in my meditation and I'm thinking about all the things that I should be doing. I should send this email. I should do this. I should. And I know that that comes from a place of not enoughness, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to do more. I got to hustle more. I got to work more. And and then I returned to, no, I just got to breathe, breathe and smile, like, which is, you know, the essence of my sitting practice. And so this morning, I felt both not enough and enough. I love that answer. Mm. Beautiful answer, man. Thank you. Thanks. Mm, beautiful. Do you think that that's why, because I, I think about that a lot, where I, my brain does that. Oh, I didn't do this or, oh, this person, you know, and I'll, and sometimes it's just, it, it's so unhelpful and it, and it is so negative. And, you know, we were talking about overthinking yesterday and how it's like your brain trying to really protect you. But I think what you just spoke to was like the root of what it's trying to protect you from. Do you think that those thoughts of guilt that we all feel that we're not doing enough for others for, you know, fill in the blank are coming from a place of feeling not enough and particularly for men, right? Like there's so much of masculinity that's in the doing um and so it's here you are in the, the being and do you feel bad about being in the being and not in the doing hmm. do i feel bad about it no because when you're when i'm actually in the being i feel great mm -hmm. that's peaceful uh i only feel bad when i think i need to do more 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 i'll never cross that finish line where i've done enough things uh i can get my egot and i probably won't be enough unless i'm able to just chill in my house and enjoy my espresso. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I, I don't feel, I feel good when I'm in the state of enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a tattoo on my wrist. Uh, it says fall back. I like that reminder. You know, when I'm doing too much, it's time to fall back. Mm. Just fall back, you know. And anyone listening from New York knows that term. Like when you're coming on too strong, fall back. Mm -hmm. Just fall back. And so that's that's a mantra that has that has brought me some peace. I noticed when he said that that gentleman told him he wasn't in the conversation, you had a reaction. What was your reaction to that as a black man? Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing was like, I can't imagine what that felt like. Must have felt like. No, I can't imagine. <laughs> but for you to be in a situation where you were told essentially that you um, your voice didn't matter, that you didn't matter that your walk and your experience in the world being someone from the Dominican Republic. I don't know, where were you born? I was born in New York, but you my were, pops but is Dominican, mom. my mom's Colombian. Yeah, my wife's Colombian. Hey. Um, <laughs> so to be told that you're not worthy um, in that sense and weren't enough, I mean, this is a narrative that I've lived with my whole life. Um, and I know that you are indeed, and you have a unique perspective to offer the world. You're able to write a book like this and speak to hearts that Justin can't reach and other people can't. And in that spirit, and certainly seeing who you are already, just like the essence of how you speak and uh, how eloquent you are and what matters to be told that. I'm sorry that you had to hear that. And yet it, did, it hasn't detoured you, right? You did some research and you did some work. You found your peace and now you found your voice. Um, so the reaction really came from that. As a, as a white person, though, can can I ask, like, what did that mean? So what was he trying to say? And where does that sit with you now? And then as a black man, like, I, I'm just curious what, because from a white person's perspective, it's harder to understand 
because you have been discriminated against because of your skin over the course of your life. And so I'm just curious in the conversation of black and brown in America, I guess that where, where you stand on what he said now, like if you could go back in time, would you, would you say something different? Would you, would you have a response if they didn't take the mic from you? Do you think he was right? Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I just want to unpack that for a second. Cause I, I'm just actually curious. You please. I think he was right. To this day, if that was his answer, I'd say he was right. We do not make room for the middle space. We don't know how, right? I mean, you your work so much lives in manliness. Yeah. It is something they have tried to box us into. Mm. Right? You have to be this. And I believe that my work, my art is about saying, regardless, race, gender, anything, there isn't a box that can contain you. And when it comes to Latinidad, as if like, we are all Latino. There isn't one box that can contain 24 different countries and hips and flavors and nationalities and foods. There isn't a box that can contain a man, right? This is why when I discovered mm. non-binariness, I was like, my, oof, my heart cracked open. My ribs cracked open. You can be two things. Nah, you can be three things, 12 things, 15 things, a thousand things. We, we are uncontainable. And that's true in manliness, that's true in gender, that's true in, in, in brownness and blackness. So if I went back, I would say, like, he was calling it the way the world is. The world sees black and white. Mm. We have been fighting that black-white fight ever since Dubois said there is a single line separating us. I will always quote James Baldwin on this. As soon as we put one person in a cage, we put everybody in the cage, white people included. And we ain't free until everybody's free. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was right. And I thank him for his, his plainness, his mm-hmm. honesty. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you were able to go back and your answer now is when you say he was right, irrespective of how it made you feel. We have fought so hard just for black people to have a, a voice, a presence, a power, some freedom. I like Nina Simone, right? What is freedom? She says, no fear. We have worked so hard for black people to have a little bit of no fear and they still have fear and they rightfully should. He was just calling it how it is. Can I bring brownness into this now or will it muddle everything up? But I like to say we don't win until we all win. Hmm. That's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. And I appreciate you acknowledging that um, people that are black and not wanting to muddy the water while we are fighting for our voice in a country that we oftentimes don't. Yeah, but I also think, you know, on the podcast, we've talked about uh, abortion rights and whether um, fighting, like not saying we're fighting for women, right? And saying, well, this affects everybody in order to include gender non-binary people who do get abortions or men who get abortions can can be, I think, <laughs> limiting to women as a group and pointing out inequality. And actually, Jamie, in that hold episode... Up, let, hold up. Let me oh, just put sorry. the cancel meter up real quick. Cancel meter is up. Here we go. All right, please continue. And, and Jamie actually spoke about this very kind of tension that you're speaking of in, in order to make a comparison where he said, you know, we say, when we say black lives matter, we're not saying brown lives don't matter. And that we can recognize that, that there is racism and discrimination against black and brown people, but that that's, that discrimination is different and that the effect of it is, is sort of different. Am I making sense to you like this? Comp- yes. Yeah. So I, I, I do think these are 
like we're all a little like, like we're, we don't want to say the wrong thing. But I do think that these conversations are, are, are difficult, but so necessary because we, right now I feel like we're, we're sort of the, at the margins of it. Like we're kind of staying on the sidelines and we're trying not to offend or, but I, I feel like it's, you know, in, in a relationship, you, you yeah, you can stay on the sidelines and, and keep peace. But if you actually <laughs> go into the yeah. fire together, you're going to be much more intimate and actually forge a, a, a much deeper connection. I kind of am craving for more conversations that are, yeah, maybe a little bit more complicated, yeah. more nuanced. That's, that's, just, that's why, that's why I wanted to ask. I just was like, uh, yeah. what you because as a white person, again, this is a very, this is new. I mean, what exactly is new? I mean, maybe I'm missing what, what okay. where, where is the... Yeah, and this is, and this is why I think it's important to to dive into and Liz you can help me here a little bit but I think from a white perspective um, it's it's hard to imagine a person or a race or a color brown as an example who we know um, has its own level of biases and, and race discrimination in our country be told that they don't have a place in the conversation so when I heard that I went, oof, um, because again, as somebody with all of the privilege, it's just, it's just hard for my brain to comprehend. Um, and yet I also understand, I mean, grateful to have best friends who are black and I can have an intimate experience with the black experience in that way where I am educated, but also have very close friends who are brown and seeing their frustrations and complaints about the system. So it's just hard, I think, for someone who doesn't have that stacked against them to understand how someone then in the middle can be told they have no voice. Mm -hmm. um, and yet to see the grace and the humility by which they process that um, to understand that like, okay, well, it's about proximity to blackness as well, which is how I understand it, because we know there's a whole Afro-Latina level of discrimination and inequality, especially in representation. It's also proximity business. to whiteness, mm -hmm. right? That's the interesting yeah. card that brownness plays is <sighs> brownness has an ability to play both sides. And so many brown people in this, in this country, but also in this world, whiteness is really what? It's a symbol for power. Yeah. It's a symbol for growth. Uh, when my dad's cousin, when my dad is working two jobs and moves to Queens and is thinking about getting his first house with my mom, who's also working two jobs. And we go to a party, and my dad's cousin says to him, Oye, what are you trying to be white now? What is he really saying? Yeah. Oye, what are you trying to have power now? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Who isn't? Who isn't trying to move up the ladder? I was sold the American dream. I was sold move up by any means necessary. So brownness falls into this weird trap where we're like, let's just... Do we push ourselves towards whiteness, whether we know it or not? Because whiteness means we're going to get ahead. And if you're pushing yourself towards whiteness, does that mean you're pushing away blackness? Does that mean you're pushing away your history, what's in your blood? Not like what's in your 23andMe, like what's really in your blood? I'm Dominican. One of the worst genocides against black people is in my blood, in the history of the world. Mm. 30,000 Haitians overnight. I'm Colombian. That's one of the largest African slave traits in the world. Comparable to America's. Uh, and then we shipped all of those slaves after they did work for us to Cartagena. And we called it the Chocolate City, which is what we once called D.C. Right? We're not very different. Mm -hmm. And so I think brownness has this very interesting 
Blackness is like, I know I'm suffering. I know I'm under the gaze of whiteness and I know it's messed up. Brownness has this ability to be like, oh, but I don't have to suffer like that. So maybe I should just go try and hang out with these people over here. Mm. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. On a personal level, like, was that a, a sort of option for you that you considered when you were young growing up, right? Like, and particularly, again, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you have the chance to hang out with white boys and be accepted by white boys, you you probably, <laughs> like, have an easier life on the playground. Or maybe I'm I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not a boy. I mean, I got happened. lucky. Like, I grew up in Queens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in the most diverse place in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, Jackson Heights is yeah, actually yeah. <laughs> the most diverse place in the world. Mm-hmm. We have the numbers and science to prove yeah. that. So I don't know mm-hmm. what I don't know yet. Uh, you know, it's not till you get to... LA and I'm in some fancy theater conservatory and I'm only one of the only people of color in my acting class. And, uh, you know, that's why this, uh, a big part of my story is discovering the Dominican man who James Bond was based on. Yeah. Well, wait, let's get into that. So your yeah. idol growing up is James Bond, whitest guy ever, ever. at the time. Uh, and <laughs> Not just white, but whitest guy and womanizer. Yes. And yeah, I mean, full of and... pres- wildly problematic. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about that. You know, so you, you grew up I- idolizing him, but not seeing yourself in him oh. or any other great man on television, right? Uh, all of them are white. Why would you idolize James Bond? Uh, I don't, I cannot tell you why I'm an eight year old, like in my tidy whiteies with all my Nerf guns strapped around me, pretending to be a white British dude. But like, <laughs> that's, I wanted to be an assassin. I thought he was so cool. You know, I thought all the white boys on TV were cool, right? Like, mm-hmm. because if you're on TV, you're cool. Mm-hmm. And I aspired to be cool. I aspired to have my voice shown because my dad was a superintendent. I didn't see superintendents on TV. Right. And nor if they were, they weren't being celebrated. And Not at all. And, they were just like, a, you yeah. know, they were minors. Um, minor carry. We get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I wanted to be that. I wanted to be what I saw. And and I can't tell you why I fell in love with Bond, but he was cool. He's cool. Yeah. You know, he was cool. And I was a little kid. I wanted to be cool. I didn't think I was cool. I was like four foot ten until I got to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had big like curly fro and big nose and big ears. And I, I just you. I didn't feel cool. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so what did that do so being that you were that young and and idolizing someone like that, uh, which is completely understandable? Uh, how do you feel that framed you then as a as you were becoming into being a young man and then, uh, you know, who you are now, how that framed you to look at the world, to see yourself as a man, to see women, uh, to see your role, um, to see your color or your history, your heritage? You know, it's not only until I look back do I do I think about how much I wanted to, you know, straighten my hair, right? And you don't know where that comes from. And came from that. Bro. It came from that. Mm-hmm. How much I did really hate my nose, you know, or 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 my lips. And uh, but I don't understand it. It's just sort of it's just sort of in me. Um, Still, no. No, How no, did no, you no. unlearn it? Because I think it, it, for so many people, it's important. It, it really. Uh, it because it, the images that you're shown at such a young age r- really are encoded in your sense of self. It, it's actually hard to unlearn those things and that internalized racism and internalized, you know, other isms that people have. I think you admit it, right? And and for me, I had a lot of, uh, you know, some people say, "Come to Jesus." I say, "Come to self." 
Like I'm, I'm really interested in spaces that allow me to meet myself. Mm. Uh, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. And I think the goal is to find the space mm-hmm. where we get to meet each other and like be intimate with each other. And I think that's so much of what your work is about being a man, you know, uh, which is really just being a person. Like, can we create more space to meet ourselves and to get rid of old stories? What stories must die so new ones can grow? Mm-hmm. And so I had to admit that stuff. I had to admit it. In my case, I tend to admit things out loud in art publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to admit, <laughs> you know, that I would look in the mirror as a young kid crying. I had to admit that I put shaving cream in my hair because I heard a rumor that it would help straighten it. I had to confront why my first white manager told me to cut my beautiful curls as soon as I graduated CalArts. I had to admit about the moment she sat me down, made me watch all my auditions and told me to get a nose job. I had to admit to myself why I did that. And as soon as I did that, why I started working more, like immediately. So you so you got a nose job? I did. And I didn't tell anyone I knew either. I had to admit that, right? Like. Mm. I had to come to myself and admit that. Mm. I went home to Miami. I told my partner at the time that there was some family stuff going on. Wow, you didn't even tell your partner. I didn't tell nobody. And I stayed there for a couple of months. Did that with my first my first big paycheck. Like I, I booked an Apple TV commercial and like a thing on Two Broke Girls. Mm. And uh, And that's what I did. <sighs> And I had to admit that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I had to admit where that was coming from, why my self-worth was so low that some old white lady could could convince me I needed to be different Uh, and how much power I gave her, which really means how much power I gave this system and media and Hollywood and culture and the desire to be seen. Mm. We all want to be seen and loved for who we are. Um, I I relate to that a lot. In my book, I share a lot about about that um and to this day i still struggle with looking in the mirror and trying to like imagine what i would look like with a nose job or like oh if i just could do that because strangely enough being white but growing up in a place where i was looked at like i wasn't i wanted to look more like the blonde kids and I did the same, I did the same stuff, <laughs> did everything I could to look like everybody else from like starting to tweeze and shape my eyebrows at a very young age to like being super insecure about my nose. And I still have to look in the mirror at, and I see eight year old Justin and I'm like, wait, I, I don't look like a movie star. I don't look like a TV star. I need to, I need to change. I need to, I need to change that part about myself. And so I really commend you. And uh, and applaud you for sharing that because while you share those things, it helps all of us who have different but similar stories of wanting to change parts of ourselves to look like what we think we're supposed to look like feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Like I remember being 22 and screen testing for a show and I was the choice. It was, this, it was this ABC family show that got picked up and it went like eight seasons. And I was the choice. And then my manager and agent called me. Whenever they called me, it's either really good news or not good news. I was 22. And they're like, so you were the choice. But the network said your eyebrows were too distracting. So then the next conversation was, so what do we do about that, Justin? From that point on, for two years, I had like eyebrows that were so thin (laughs) that like, you know, It it was looking looking back at those pictures. It's embarrassing, but that was what I needed to do. 
because you'll never be accepted for who you are. Clearly, you are not good enough. So I just, I, I feel you so deeply. My question for you is, do you wish you didn't do it? Do you wish you could have your old nose back? What do you feel now when you look in the mirror and see that? I can't, I can't do that. I just can't. And so I have. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, I just mean like, you know, what's your, what's your feeling when you. I just have. Through those things. I have a lot of. I have a lot of gratitude that I had the strength and the openness to be able to admit it out loud with others, to talk about it, to now know that when I have a child, I could just tell them, you are, you are enough. Mm-hmm. Not even you are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like every day you are enough. 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 Mm-hmm. And this is not a knock on my parents. They're, they're the best. Uh, like, but they were battling their own enoughness. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mom's an immigrant. My dad, first gen. Like, they're battling their own demons. So that's that's all. I did it. It's something I did to myself. It's a choice I made. And it has brought me closer to myself. Mm. Everything in my life, everything in our lives, may I say, possibly, if we meet it with kindness, can bring us closer to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We meet it with intimacy, can bring us closer to ourselves. And that can maybe help others get closer to themselves. And how can men do that work of of, of getting, or, or that healing, really, of getting closer with you, with yourself? I think... You know, we're all disconnected from ourselves, from our bodies, but mm-hmm. there's a particular, again, with, I think with men in our society, a doing, right? And, and when you're doing, 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 it's a way to, yeah, sort of prove something, but it's also, it's, it's a, it's a way to disconnect from yourself. And so what are the practices that, that you do as, as a man or think that men should be doing in order to, to be more connected? Get off Instagram. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I, you know, is my own battle as well. I'm, I'm right there with y'all. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, busyness is a lie that doesn't allow us to be with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Busyness is, 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 is one of the great tricks of society. Mm. Keep them busy and they might not see the truth. They might not see who they are. I think just some of my practices, my my sitting practice and my spiritual practice are very important to me. I've always called myself an actor monk. Like I battle, I love community. Like I love this. I think community is so important and spaces of belonging and gathering and having these conversations. But I also am always like, all right, so when's the next time I go away for 10 days in silence? Okay. Which I often do. You do a Vipassana? I do. Nice. That's beautiful. Beautiful practice. And when I can't find a retreat, I like rent a cabin in Big Sur and with no internet and like basically no sunlight. It's I have this like place deep down (laughs) Uh, and I just kind of disappear from the world, you know. Um, That's how we can do it as men, as humans, is is we have to, we input a lot of information. Mm -hmm. We got to do some output. If you, if you do a juice cleanse, you got to do a mind cleanse. Like, yeah, I think about it like breathing a lot. Like we're constantly inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and we're never exhaling. Are we breathing too much? Wasn't there a guy, <laughs> this podcast, this guy wrote a book that we like breathe like, I don't know, 27 times a minute and we're supposed to breathe, breathe like six. Yeah, no, for sure. like that, right? For sure. But the, there's also, uh, but, there, but we're also taking so much in. I don't, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but for years, 
I didn't realize that I was holding my breath yes. constantly. Mm-hmm. And I know I talk about this in the book too. It's just this like, because my nervous system was just constantly in fight or flight. And it took me falling in love, getting married, and a woman who was with me a lot to notice I was holding my breath constantly. Because I was, I would just, and then I would just mm-hmm. be tense. And I think I'm relaxed. And so my brain played a trick on me. I'm like, oh, I think I'm relaxed and I'm just having a mm-hmm. conversation, but I'm not actually releasing the breath because I'm wound up. My armor's on. I'm flexing all the time to protect myself from the world. And she's noticed I was making this sound. And it was so inaudible, I couldn't hear it. And she goes, baby, are you breathing? I'm like, yeah, what are you talking about? I'm breathing. Oh, shit, I wasn't breathing for my whole life. And I know I'm not alone. This is just yeah. the symptom of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The first time I did a theater class, they're like, we, you know, you have to learn how to breathe. Or like, And it was like painful. I was like, why does this hurt? And she's like, just br- taking a breath. Like, it, it was the same way where yeah. I hadn't even realized, like, I wasn't taking full breaths at all. Um, but sorry, you were, you were going to say something. No, no, no. I have a couple things to say. I normally have an agenda when we come on this podcast to try to frame the conversation for myself where what you are doing, what we are doing as men to be better. But what I think is you're just demonstrating it. We have listeners, we have men all the time that, Justin, we talk about this, that people don't feel safe to express things that they're vulnerable about, challenges they have. And the first thing we have to do, I think, as men is acknowledge within ourselves how we feel about ourselves and give ourselves permission to do so. And what I just heard, what I just heard when you were sharing, I'm remembering being a kid and wanting so badly to be white. My mom is white and all my cousins and my aunts and all of them are white. And the first thing I would do when I go into a room when I was a kid with anyone I met, any kid was, um, hey, my name's Jamie. My mom's white. Mm. I would figure a way to get that in there because I didn't want them to see me mm. as black. There was no way to hide it. Fro was big and everything looked different. But I needed them to know because they would they would maybe hate me a little less. Um, and thinking about all the things I could do, putting something on my nose when I was a kid so that my nose wouldn't be as wide so it would look like my cousins. And my friends. grandma told me to sleep with a clothespin pinched to my nose. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I moved because I know being brown, being black, that we see images that tell us of what's beautiful and what's wonderful. And it doesn't look like us. So there's other ways to then be beautiful, which is to have power, um, to control, um, to have many girlfriends or boyfriends or, you know, um, because somehow I have to be worthy and seen. I have to be James Bond. I'm moved that you would share vulnerably, like that you wanted your nose to look different and then you did. And then a white lady told you that you weren't enough as you fucking are because you are and you're beautiful and you're wonderful. And um, you didn't feel that. That while you cared about an issue and someone told you your voice, that there wasn't a place for you in it. Even though I understand what it was about, essentially you go away. Witness Dogs from Stitcher. The reason why I'm highlighting this 
is while there is a conversation to be had about now, how do we take that and be better? I think just the fact of talking about it and having listeners and other men that may not be dealing with uh, their skin color, it might be a white man who doesn't feel like they're, they have enough money or that they're not smart enough or that they're not something enough. And to be able to say it instead of pretending and posturing like we do so often and then we don't get help, you know, then I don't go to Justin and I say, dude, I'm feeling this because I'm trying to posture and, and, and be manly enough, whatever the hell that means anymore. Um, so I appreciate you sharing and, and um, just that and writing this book. And I think that leads us into, I think this is what being man enough is. Um, being vulnerable, one of the things that's being man enough and sharing your truth. Thank you for sharing that story about your mama and walking into those rooms. And I think that's the goal. Walk the way when you walked into those rooms sharing that what you wanted to feel was safe. Like you belonged, I think. And I believe that's what this podcast does for a lot of people. That's what difficult conversations that you were talking about earlier. I'm into disruption. I think it's wildly important. Uh it's something I use in my storytelling work, like the bird fights its way out of the egg. The egg is the world. In order to enter one world, we must destroy another. Uh, I think conflict is okay. Um, I don't, in my own life, and this is maybe the, the, the Buddhist in me, I'm less interested in better. How do I be better? And I'm more interested in how do I be more honest? How do I be more present? My meditation teacher uh, who has passed, Michael Stone, says, uh, let the heat kill you. Let it take you. Let the not-enoughness take you. Let the boredom take you. But sit with it. Like, really be intimate with it. Let, you know, ask a big question, not an answer. Persistent problems are a proper question not yet asked. Why don't I feel enough? Mm. Why do I keep doing the thing I know is wrong for me, but I do it anyway? Why am I so obsessed with this? But can we take that... By the way, uh, um, just just oh, something I thought you you guys all saw the video of the young black girls who were looking at the Little Mermaid, the new Little Mermaid. You know, seeing their black face on there, and then them crying, and oh my God, mom and daddy had someone that was black. You know, that looked like me. Um. So <clears throat> yes, you say um, you you're you're not interested in focusing on being better and being enough and letting that go. I, I hear that. However, there is this. The way that we are operating in society right now, society has to be better. Oh. It, it, it can't be. And it can't be better if individually we don't then say, how can I be better tomorrow? What am I doing today? That's enough, but I can do even more. How about we frame the language? I have to do more to save our babies, to save our young boys that are coming up, to save women from continually being oppressed by me or people that look like me or have the power that I have as a man. So I have to think about, okay, let me feel enough and, and, and not be in conflict with my internal self. And yet tomorrow, if I expect everyone else to be better, I'm going to have to lead it. So in that sense, how can you then be even more instead of being better? be even more to help our next generations, to help your, your co-stars, to help your acting classes and your circle of friends and your family be better, to champion the uh, in themselves so that society can look better for Liz 
and for your children and for your community and for Justin's family and all of the world, as you said, we're all free. Um, what do you feel like you can do better in your role as a brown man that you didn't do before? Or others are may not be doing. What can I do better? I just also want to agree with you tremendously. Yeah, the world is in in dis is in sickness, uh, and we are in need of more beauty. And I don't mean like Kardashian Vogue Gucci beauty. I mean like spaces of belonging beauty. I mean the beautiful bodies of culture taking up self-worth beauty, taking up space beauty. Um, what do they call it when uh, it's like, uh, you know, w white families leave a bunch of money to their kids. What's that called? Uh, trust. Not trust. Inheritance. Like, trust fund. Uh, um, oh, gosh. It's an inheritance, right? Y yes, but it's, it's uh, we, we talk about how like, White families have generational, generational wealth. Generational wealth. wealth. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> the greatest version of, here's what I can do to be better. To me, generational wealth looks like me being a good ancestor. And I put things into the world that allow people to know they are enough and breathe a little deeper than they have breathed before. Like, that's what I can do better is every day I can show up in a way that says I'm going to be someone's ancestor. Mm -hmm. And that's generational wealth. Bodies of culture loving who they are is generational wealth more than any financial thing I can put in their pocket. Mm -hmm. I love that mm -hmm. answer. I do too. It's not, yeah. And, and yet there's something that doesn't feel like enough for me about it. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's enough. I love it. I love that. And it, but that's interesting and because... there's an and. But... <laughs> I don't know if I, I understand, I think, what you're feeling, but I don't know if I agree with you only because I think that what he's talking about and in the way that he's describing showing up in the world, while it might not be the language of like, I could be a better man by, by doing this and creating space for women, et cetera. What I do think he's doing is saying, I can show up in the world and if I can learn to be a safe space for myself, like I say in, you know, boys will be human, then I'm creating a safe space for everyone. If I can learn how to breathe, then I'm helping others breathe. And and I and I think that by nature he actually is doing yeah. the very thing that Clearly. But I think that it's a I think that it's an evolved I think that we're talking about like calculus mm -hmm. here with him and and where this podcast sits a lot of the time mm -hmm. just by nature because we have to is yeah. an addition that's fair like, and, like like we're talking about addition generally like gender mm -hmm. equality if mm -hmm. we're if we're honest and masculinity and the undefining of it mm -hmm. is really like two plus two yeah because i need sorry liz I'm, can i just say one yeah. quick thing i'm so sorry yes my brain works and i need concrete and tangible things so that tomorrow i have something to focus on i can't build a business and just have everybody say I'm in within myself and I want to be better tomorrow. Show me how you're going to be better. Give me some list so we can quantify it in some way. Um, I've heard my whole life people's intentions and want to be in their truth and their spiritual and their, and they see the world as one and uh, want to be my best self. Wonderful. Tell me what you're going to do tomorrow with that. 
Justin, you're going to write a book. You're going to help uh, um, do a podcast. Okay. You're going to go on a tour and talk to kids and tell them how they can, it's okay to cry and share their emotions. Great. You're going to talk to your children and say, help champion and make sure when you're in school that you are getting out of the way of women who oftentimes are, don't have the, the space as I'm taking from Liz right now. Forgive me. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, and I'm not saying you're not doing that. Please forgive me for, I'm, I'm more speaking just in general as we're having the conversation. I feel that we need brilliant people like yourself who have these perspectives and have a grounding. You have a grounding when you speak and you're articulate in it and people need to hear it 100%. And also I need tangible, concrete things that listeners and our friends can then say, Oh, I can grab onto that. It can't just not enough to just be a good human. But I, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's not. And I'm not meaning to speak he's for you. He's not saying but, it. But what I, what I keep taking this back to, and it's similar to the quote that I always, and, and Liz, I, I know you had something to say, but I just want to, real quick, what, what my wife always says, what I love, is that greatest activism is self-activism, right? It all starts in the ability to sit with ourselves and to have that moment, to do the practice, to pray, to meditate, right? Even in our own faith, this is where it all begins, so it's the the it's conscious knowledge and then the practice of good deeds and what you're getting at is the practice of yeah, good I'm, deeds. Yeah, I'm getting to the end. And 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 that and then tell me what right? to, and tell so, me what you're going to do when you wake up after yeah. your meditation. So but but most people don't have that practice because we're stuck in in the the distraction of the doing, right? The the idea that we are human doings versus human beings, which is what he's getting at. Yeah, and if we agreed. can quiet our minds, then we will have the actual inspiration to figure out, well, what is my unique gift of service to the world? Because it's not going to be the same for everybody, but we can't even get there. Otherwise, then it's just performative activism. And I know for, for uh, we just want to see the world be better overnight, but the solution is in the meditation, the prayer, the knowing of oneself so that then we can be better. And so I long just think as that, it doesn't come from a man who is saying, I, uh, uh, I'm in my own process. And as a man, in the meantime, women are suffering. So long as I come from a white person, so I'm in my own process. In the meantime, people of color are yes. suffering. So, yes. And then I'm interested. I just mean in, in regards end. to this specific conversation. Understood. Because, if, because that's not the energy or the vibe that I think any of us are getting. I think it's no. very. So I just want to be mindful that it's that the, the, what the work that you're doing, Chris, and, and the work that people are doing, I don't want that and any, any listener to ever feel like that's not enough. Because we can also get trapped in the doing and the activism part of it versus... Except we, I'm going to disagree. I don't think it's enough. Don't think what's enough. We have to start somewhere, is what I'm saying. This, this is what I mean by we're talking about addition versus calculus. I hear you. Sorry. I just think we have to start somewhere. No, agreed. I'm, I'm embracing it. Yeah. Well, you don't think what's enough, you said. Just when you just said, I don't want our listeners to think that it's in the doing. That it's it, just in the doing. Because... because the doing can also become then the trap. So we ha it has to. We have to be fueled from somewhere. Like when Abdul Baha says, "We must rest so that we can serve. We must sleep so that we can serve. We must eat so that we can serve." Right? There's always a part two, which is the serving. And what I'm what I, I what I'm feeling is that what we are not doing in this culture, what patriarchy tells us, and the intersection of patriarchy and capitalism, and then you mix in the race conversation for both of you, especially, there is no ability to slow down and to inhale so that we can exhale it has to start in the rest and in the sleep so that then we can serve that's uh, all i'm trying to say i agree with that cannot argue with that 
as long as it doesn't end there. <laughs> yes, of course. What Sorry, it, Liz. it won't Chris think. Yes, Liz, you go. No, I said, what does Chris think? Um, well, no, you're the guest and you haven't talked in like 10 minutes. Uh, so you should speak. Uh, I think you're both right. I think this happens all the time and they're both right, right? Like what you're saying doesn't actually contradict what you're no, saying and what you're yeah. saying doesn't contradict it's what It's really you're for saying. listeners. I just want the listeners and, to not be confused about what we're saying. And if yeah. I can just speak at, you know, as a, as a woman in this conversation, as it pertains to what men can do, you know, in, to be better men for women. I, I actually, again, think both of you are right. And, and both of you make really, really interesting and, and crucial points, which is I have felt um, even coming in uh, to race conversations or that kind of work as a white person, I was so focused on what I was doing for people of color. Mm-hmm. And the best work was when people of color were like, the problem isn't like, we're not who you should like work on you. Racism is, is coming from you. And that, you know, the, this idea that you have to do something for me is actually rooted in that racist ideology. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing applies to sexism, where I think men uh, b- b- believe that they have to do something for women in order to eradicate sexism. When in fact, I, I think so much of the patriarchy is spread in our intimate relationships. And so often what I've needed in that intimate relationship with a man is not for him to do more things for me. I mean, I love when men do things for me, but you know, I, I'll, I'll take it. Um, but what would be the most meaningful to me uh, as a, as a woman is for him to work on on himself. Yes. Because if you're not working on yourself, if you're not willing to live in the questions, then you're not going to want to hear, uh, what I have to say. You're, you're not going to be able to listen to me. And, and that has been the most like that to me, that's the patriarchal wound in, in, in my intimate relationships with men. If I can't feel my own pain, I can never hold yours. Of course. And you can't hold yours when no, I show I, yeah, it to you, right? Not. And so I think it's it's both. Um, and, and it's connected, right? You can't just uh, be in the doing if you haven't, you know, done the being and vice versa. Does that, what, what, but what do you think, Chris? I think everyone here is, Everyone's everyone right. Here is right. Everyone's uh, right. We're all welcome great. Welcome to the Man of the Podcast. <laughs> I love, I love your fight for action. You want results. People have wanted results for lifetimes. The greatest trick whiteness ever pulled was combining, uh, was telling people that it was better to be poor and white than poor and black. When they put money and whiteness together, they made a monster that is that has eaten up everything in its path. People have been fighting and trying to find actions for a long time, from nonviolence to violence to this to that. We have not gotten to the source. Ignorance is bliss until you have tasted bliss, and then the rest is just ignorance. But if you don't make the space to be honest about why you want things to change, about why you want to be a better partner, about the kind of love you really want in your life, about the kind of intimacy you really want in your life, about how you want white people to really show up in spaces, about how you want to show up in spaces, about your own privilege, about my own privilege as a light-skinned brown man, about my own choices, my own decisions, until I can be honest about that, then I can start to know... My actions, I don't have to think about them and write them on a to-do list. No, I'm moved by not wanting to be in ignorance. Mm. I'm moved by wanting to be in a state of peace, harmony. Mm. I'm moved by that. But I have to make the space for that. And then my actions are determined. I can't tell nobody what to do but to be honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. Why are you moving through the world in this way? 
And you talk about peace and equality and, and, and race relations and this and affirmative and na na na. Why? Why? Mm. What's your why? Mm. What are you rooted in? And that only comes if we take that space and we be honest with ourselves. Ignorance is bliss until you've tasted bliss. And then the rest is just ignorance. And I don't want any more ignorance in my life. It don't taste good. Hmm. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. And that's how also you ensure that your intentions are actually probably aligned with your actions, right? Because yeah. I think that's also, I mean, again, this goes beyond. Your actions are born of your intentions. Yes. Yes. Your actions are born of your value right. system. The greatest thing, you want action that people can do out there? Make this space to change your life. To say, I've, I've been, can I curse? Yes. I've been fucking up. I've been letting myself down. I don't go to bed in peace. I don't wake up in peace. I'm pretending. I'm, you got to make space to call yourself out on your shit. Everyone and their mom is going to try and tell you what they know. Tell me what you don't know. Boast about that. <laughs> radical accountability, radical responsibility. Boast about that shit. There you go. Now you're speaking my language right there. <laughs> I love my man. That. I mean, I love it. My man. I live to a... a speaking a, my love language. <laughs> <laughs> Every night before I go to bed, I read this quote, says, or remember to say this quote, bring thyself to account each day, ere thou art summoned to a reckoning. Bring thyself to account each day, right? So you reflect and you go and um, process where you are and get rid of the, the um, ignorant stuff <laughs> to live in the bliss, to be spiritually connected, whatever that is for each individual. Um, so yes, 100%. Mm. And what then is I the wake prax- up the next day, and then how do I put that in action? <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> no, I, I, I think accountability is obviously such an important theme, and I don't know if we've, like, talked about it enough, right? Like, it, it seems like that is your lifestyle, really. I mean, it's it's something that you've really totally absorbed in in terms of your daily life. So so what does a practice of accountability look like I mean, for people we- who are listening and who are brand new to this? With me and my own partner, you know, like, I'll tell you that it's not— it's not a wash of my whole life. Uh, you know, Miriam, I'll name her, <laughs> will get angry with me because she's like, you preach this and this, but what about here in our relationship? And I'm like, you know, just because I can, the race, mm. the this, the that, that's one part of, 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 of the picture, you know, that I've spent a lot of time diving into. My art, that's another thing I've given my whole life to. Now, what it means to be to show up in relationship with another person, that's a whole other level of work I got to do now. Now I got to be honest with her in a new way with all of that stuff that has changed me. You know, what's it look like for us? Couples therapy. What's it look like mm-hmm. for us? Like I got to, we literally got to set calendar dates to, 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 to just no work, <laughs> no work. Like a state of the union. You don't don't have kids yet, do you? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay, get ready, baby. But what's the thing that you struggle with in your relationship? If 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 Miriam was here, what would she say is the one thing that comes up a lot for you that you should work on? Oh, I can get stolen by this stuff. Mm. You know, I can just get stolen by work. Mm. And then she, you know, she doesn't want to just be the thing at home. Mm -hmm. Like... What's her thing? She's like, I ain't trying to be LeBron James's wife. Like, I, you know, no. <laughs> she's like, I'm trying. I want to be. This is a partnership, not uh-huh. like I take care of your this, all this. Mm. I want you to be here. Uh, so that. 
Mm. And what is that? What's the root of that for you? Why? Why is work? Oh God! I, you know, I I told her this. Like, I've been dating my art since the fifth grade. We've gone to couples counseling. We got divorced. We had kids. <laughs> you know, she broke up with me. I got back together. We mm-hmm. like. I have been. I have blood, sweat, and tears to find my voice, to find my art, to find my to to be the place where I am right now. Uh, and now I get to fall back a little from that. And I get to say, re- re- you know, action, right? What does action look like? I sit down with her and I say, I'm ready to re reimagine my value system. I'm ready to really reimagine my value system because I always put art above all things. Mm-hmm. And now I say like, I think you two can share space. Mm-hmm. But it ain't going to happen overnight. <laughs> but let's let's work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny you use that that metaphor because uh, Esther Perel, who's been on the show, you know, says uh, uh, she talks about the state of affairs and, you know, how, um, you know, women, men, all, all kinds of people cheat for all kinds of reasons. But she says that a lot of men will cheat on their wives with their job, that like that's the affair mm-hmm. in so many, um, you know, households across America. And and you, you the fact that you kind of even compared it to that, I think, is really interesting. Yeah, that feels like, right, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's also tied in. I mean, Bell Hooks writes about it in A Will to Change, that work addiction mm-hmm. is really the primary addiction that isn't ever talked about. Oh, it's also so attached to the, to the enough part. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And extricably linked to the intersection of racism and capitalism and patriarchy. Um, I mm. love that you shared that about Miriam, my wife, uh, after she read my book, she finished the final chapter. And she's like, baby, it's really good, but now you need to read it. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I redid the whole final chapter. And that's what I put in the final chapter is her reading it and telling me because that is the ultimate truth. It's like we can show up in the world. And then how do we then apply that into our into our homes? And I think that's the ultimate integration. All the meditation Um, in the world means nothing until you get off the cushion and you're in traffic and someone cuts you off and you yell, fuck you. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. Baha'u'llah and the Baha'i faith. He uh, he called out all the monks. He said, come on down. Come on down from your meditation and apply all of that into the city. Come down from the mountain and actually apply the meditation and apply what you've learned into this conversation with people because that's where we need it. That's why I love Thich Nhat Hanh and the word engaged. And this ties into your action. What action? Be engaged in the world. That's right. Don't just preach things. Don't just want things. Be engaged because if you're really engaged in the world, you see how fucked up it is. If you were really engaged in the world, you would fight in spaces where people, where, where women and bodies of culture are being victimized and abused. If you were really engaged, otherwise you just sleep in. Wake up, be engaged in the world. Hmm. One of the things I'd love to dive into real quick is uh, machismo. Yeah, um, it's different in every culture but it's rooted in the same thing. How can listeners who come from culture that have machismo, um, in your opinion, break free of that and uh, explore their enoughness in a way that you are? I think so much of machismo and diguerismo and uh, womanizing and that is is directly related to all, everything we're talking about. You've probably said this a bunch on this show, but it's enoughness, right? Like you get an instant dopamine hit when... 
someone expressed interest in you. You know, like it's, it's an instant way to see my work paid off. I'm enough. I'm worthy. You know, oh, this person wants to be with me in whatever capacity that is. This person thinks I'm interesting. It's like an instant dopamine hit that says I am enough. It like hits this little button. I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. And so I do return to this idea of like every high will fall. You will always crash. Then you will need to get high again. And so what are you seeking and what's really sustainable? What's really sustainable in your enoughness? You know, as a man in this culture with machismo and tigerismo, what are you really seeking from this? Because the fall from, you know, the lonely valley, the fall from the top of the mountain can be lonely. Like, what are you really, 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 really seeking mm-hmm. from these people, from these quick hits of dopamine, from these quick hits of enoughness? I know that's exactly what it was for me my days in college after college like it was just like it was a second to be like oh, I'm a, it's cool I'm the shit it's great and then I'm alone and I don't feel like I'm the shit and I gotta go feel that way again mm-hmm. and then I'm alone and then oh, I gotta go do it again it's just a cycle we're caught in and how do we break free from the cycle we start to get honest we start to take accountability and say like they can't fulfill this whole thing <laughs> like oh First, I gotta look at the hole. Mm. Then I gotta, then I gotta make love to the to, to that thing. I gotta be intimate with that, uh, that pain in me, that sadness in me. Um, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Liz, can you ask the final uh, question? Sure, can. Um, what does it mean for you to be man enough? Like in my own book, we take away the first word, and it's just enough. It's just enough. It's enough to sit in whatever space you're in right now and to forgive yourself Mm. and to love yourself and to open your ribs, which means to open your heart. Take a deep breath. Say, I'm enough. Right here, right now, I am enough. My cup is full from this place, from this place. I will continue to move through the world engaged. Mm. And so if you're listening to this right now and all of us up here, let's do that together. Let's do that together. What are we doing together? You can do it while you're driving. I know a lot of, we have a lot of listeners who drive while they listen to this podcast. You can be on the train doing it right now while you listen to the podcast. And uh, why don't you take us through a breath where we open up our ribs and then we can say it to ourselves. I take a deep breath. Let it go. If we want to say out loud, I am enough, we say it out loud. I am enough. And if you got to say it in your head, you say it in your head. I am enough. My cup is full. I am enough. And you are, wherever you are, whoever you are, you are unequivocally without a doubt enough and you christopher are absolutely enough that's right thank, thank you. you so much for being here uh Man. like always please like and subscribe where can they where can they find us it is manenough.com slash podcast wow 
and uh, nice work. <laughs> and uh, come back and join us, man. Let's do it's it. Such yeah. honor, it's such Thank an honor. Such an honor to meet you. We've been in parallel worlds, and uh, and it it really is so beautiful to me to hear you and healing to me uh, to hear you do this beautiful work. So I'm grateful that you came on the show today. I am too. Been excited. I'm grateful. Yeah. Indeed. And you are, as I said, I think that your very words and your process and how you are living is the action. Um, so I, please don't confuse that. I don't think you are doing enough for that. You need to be doing better. He just wants my sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, until next time, I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Jamie Heath. And this is Man, Man Enough. Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough Podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble, in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.